Today on the Almond Journey podcast. We really like it when an employee says, you know, our company or like this is our forklift, right? Because then it shows the care. That means they're happy working here. They take care of things and, and that we're treating them well. Raj and Taj Sam Rin share their journey from almond growers to also almond processors. back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I get to travel up and down the valley to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their own operations, connect with their local communities, and advance this almond industry. Today, we head to Belico, California, about 10 miles southeast of Turlock, where brothers Raj and Taj Samrin own and operate Hilltop Ranch, Inc. and Sam Rin and Sons Farming. When I asked them about what they do, they said, we grow almonds, we put them in a box and ship them around the world. Pretty straightforward. Raj is the chief operating officer of Hilltop and Taj is the vice president and handles grower relations. Taj is also the CEO of Sam Rin and Sons Farming, so their farming side of their operation. Uh, today, we get the chance to hear how the Sam Rin family got their start in growing almonds in California and how that led into also becoming holer shellers and now processors. You'll hear why they should have been on an episode of Undercover Boss this past year through the process of buying into the almond processing company and also share their view on why they continue to push forward for growth despite the challenging economic conditions the industry finds itself in today. I had the chance to sit down with Raj and Taj in person at the Almond Conference last December, and we'll kick things off with Raj, who's the younger brother by about 14 months, as he gives a brief overview of what Hilltop does. Yeah, so Hilltop does a lot of grower relations, so we essentially buy product from our growers. Um, then we, we have a holder seller as well. We have two of them. And then we do the honing shelling process, and then we go on to the processor side where we size the product, separate it all out, clean it, and make sure it's packed for bulk. Um, for domestic, we do pasteurization. Everything else, we have in-house trucking, in-house labs. So we're all the way from the farming side, growing it, all the way up to taking it to the port in Oakland. Awesome. All right. Well, how did all this get started? Okay, so... Uh... Back when my grandpa moved here in 1960s, they used to farm in uh, Punjab, India. And when they came here, just picked up farming and then... Uh, Same type of farming or different? No, I used to do uh, rice and wheat and sugarcane. And uh, when we moved here, my father graduated college and my father and my grandfather, they began farming in uh, Belico. That's when they started with trees and then it just grew into almonds, peaches, pistachios, walnuts. Yeah, just a little more background. I'm, my dad moved here when he was 12 or so and went to middle school and high school here and, and college and uh, grew up uh, and just working. Uh, my grandfather, my, well, both my grandparents worked at the Foster Farms plant. Uh, they kind of humble beginnings. And um, my dad had another job as well. And then they, you know, invested when interest rates were really, really high into some land the when banks used to own a lot of the land in that area and then started growing from there uh, in Belico and then we had the opportunity in the like 2008 2007 to expand out in Chowchilla and that's when we really started to grow and then you know just my dad's been in in it for a long time and and they've had that drive to keep pushing keep growing and almond prices went up to five bucks and then it was a really good time 
now now it's uh, subpar two bucks, but we're still in it. So uh, I think we just keep pushing and keep growing as our family grows. I mean, all all our cousins are basically doing the same thing as well. Um, yeah, a couple other processors and and uh, large growers as well. And so even when we get together, we're talking about business. Yeah. So, so it's, even it's family reunion. You're talking. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's it's always been like in that environment that we grew up. So we've always been talking about it, and all of the cousins reinvested, came back into the family businesses too. And so it's been really good for all of us to just kind of stay rooted in, in our in our roots. And Roger, did you say you got into the processing a year ago? Yeah. So we had the opportunity to, we used to sell our product as growers to Hilltop. And we had the opportunity uh, last year to buy into Hilltop. So we purchased in January of this year. And then it's kind of been like a drinking water out of a fire hose. A lot to learn on that side. But we bring a really good perspective with the longs. Uh, so Dexter and Christine are still there as well. And um, they have a really good relationship and they built the business from 1980. And so they have very good knowledge about the processing side of things. And uh, we bring the knowledge and we make a pretty good team. Just knowing from our grower side, we'd have the grower's perspective and then they have the processor perspective. Great. Well, what what was that process like? Obviously, you can't. You, we don't want you to reveal anything confidential. But but what was that process like to realize like this was going to be a good partnership uh, before you decided to kind of finalize that deal? Well, I think we've had a really good relationship with Hilltop itself for uh, probably twenty years with my father and and Dave Long and Dexter as well. So we felt pretty comfortable with the Longs. It just kind of came out of nowhere, and we were looking, and they were selling. So we really just went down the rabbit hole and got further and further along and then ended up being a really good partnership. Yeah, just more as we negotiated and talked and saw how we wanted the future to look like. It matched really well. And I think it's been a really good partnership so far. Yeah, our visions are quite aligned. And and I want to get into more like that vision for the future. Uh, but maybe before we do, you said, I think you said it was like drinking out of a fire hose. And, and I would think this past year would have been a challenging year to get into the processing industry in general. What have been kind of the biggest learnings uh, since you, you've kind of gotten involved on that side? I think the whole logistics and just um, how cash flow works on that side, um, because it's essentially you want to pay the growers because you're marketing for them. But then also with the pandemic and how issues have been for our buyers as well. It's a very fine line to kind of judge, okay, I need payment in this many days because I need to pay the growers. And so on our side, we always want to make what we say for our growers that we're going to make that happen no matter what it is. And so it's it's kind of just managing that and then the logistics of it all. So just kind of learning like, you know, inco terms and, you know, what certain industries or certain areas want and uh, require for themselves um, and just kind of managing like a whole operation of it all. It's been uh, really interesting. I, I love uh, problem solving. So it's been good. And we just kind of been looking at every single aspect of the business and kind of growing from there and see where we can be more efficient. Great. And, and what types of products does Hilltop sell? Uh, just raw almonds. So, so we do in shell, we do, um, you know, anything sized, standard fives. So everything. On top bottom, but we don't do blanched or sliced or diced or something like that. Yeah. So no value added yet. Uh huh. Is there extra um, value add opportunities because you all are in the farming side of the business with customers of Hilltop to say like, look, we kind of have access to every step of the value chain, or is it more or less you know like you would buy from a separate farm? Uh, so basically, th that gives us a really good perspective 
And I think that kind of sets us apart from other processors that are just a handalone uh, processor. So we're able to kind of communicate, hey, this is how the process works. We're able to kind of communicate to the buyers, hey, this is what our growers are going through because we're growers and we're going through it as well. So it's kind of just bringing them both parties kind of closer together. And same thing with, I mean, we value transparency a lot. So we're very transparent with our buyers and we're very transparent with our growers as well. Uh, we want to let them know what's going on in the market as we hear it. And um, I mean, if it's bad, it has been bad for the last while. So we've just been very honest with everybody. Yeah, we, I mean, just like all our growers, we've been going through the same tough times, same problems, same problem solving. So we're on this together and we all need to, you know, we all need to find a happy medium. Right. And let's talk about some of those challenges at the, at the farm level. You know, what have you been facing uh, w- with your all farming operation? Obviously, prices is something everybody's been facing, but what about, uh, you know, other challenges on the farming side of the business? Well, I think everybody knows fertilizers up, our cost of water in terms of uh, just with Sigma and uh, land and everything and just everything that fuels up, all commodity prices are down, inflation is way higher, parts are expensive. Everything's up and our commodity prices are down. So the biggest challenge is how to be the most efficient and how far you can stretch your dollar without being in the red. Right, right. What about, um, you know, kind of along similar lines with the sustainability interest from from consumers? Now you guys are in the processing business. You know, how are you kind of bringing that together? Are there are there new practices or new approaches that you want to take to try to tell that story to consumers? Like, I think everybody's in the same same boat as, as in terms of everybody's costs are way higher. And we need to portray to the, to the buyers as well as the sellers that, you know, we're all going through a tough time. We all need to agree to a happy medium. And that's the toughest part because everybody wants to stretch their, their bottom dollar right now. Well, I think one thing in sustainability is that, I mean, on our farms and Hilltop itself, we do a lot of solar. Uh, just to kind of help out with the electricity costs and kind of... Like for pumps and stuff or? Yes. For, for our pumps on the farm side and for all our facilities. Uh, we have solar in all our facilities. So that kind of stuff, uh, reducing emissions by... We put in a new cold storage uh, on site. So reducing emissions by moving less product to a freezer and cold storage and back here for packing and all that stuff. So we're trying to be more efficient. I mean, this also goes hand in hand with, you know, diesel prices being so high that you don't want to move product so much. But I think all of that kind of goes in towards us sustainability and and even um, like holes and shells and trying to find alternative uses for shells. Um, I was part of the Almond Leadership Program a couple of years ago, and I had a project for finding alternative uses for almond shells. And one that we did was trying to make compost out of it. We did a very, very simple kind of theory of just putting in greens from, I got grass, fresh cut grass from my house and mixed it with some shells and, you know, watered it and you know, composted it up and actually just show some really good numbers. I mean, with, with that simplicity of it. So I'm sure if, I mean, there are more companies kind of looking into it and trying to find more alternative uses. And I think that can be a very good thing. I mean, there's dirt from the holes or from the holder shellers that could be maybe used for something as well. There's a lot of nutrients in there that gets picked up. Just stuff like that. I mean, putting it on for gravel or, I mean, there's a lot of different uses that the almond board and other companies are looking into for sure. So trying to become more sustainable and eco-friendly, simple things like getting away from flood and becoming, you know, double drip irrigation. I think that's helped a lot. And then the soil sensors have helped quite a bit too from overwatering. As well as some uh, aerial droning and stuff like that. It shows deficiencies in your soil so you can 
spot tree just that spot instead of treating the whole orchard. So that kind of helps your efficiency as well. Yeah. Now, did you guys both go to college for, for ag? No. So uh, we, uh, I went to the University of Pacific for a uh, business administration of the concentration in finance. And then afterwards, I came back. Yeah, I went really far away from that. So I went to UOP as well. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I did business administration and marketing. So I'm actually using my marketing degree now with sales. But uh, yeah, so ever since we both came back from college, I started on the farming side and worked our way there. And we've been working there since, I mean, I don't know, like eight, nine years old. We were working out on the farms and everything, you know, tractors, putting in irrigation systems and everything. So, I mean, did you always want to come back? Well, I always grew up here. So, I was kind of, we always knew that we were always going to come back. Yeah, I always love the community and the area that we're in. So, I've always wanted to come back and to see what we can do here, uh, keep expanding the businesses and, and keep growing. We have a really good relationship with each other and, and with my dad. So, uh, we're more than happy to come back and, and see what we can do all do together. Is your dad still involved in the business? Yeah, yeah. So like my my brother takes care of all the farming stuff. I, I do the uh, all on Hilltop, and then uh, my dad kind of goes back and forth. Recently, he's been probably a lot more at uh, Hilltop than my brother probably like. <laughs> but uh, you know, leaving you, you on your own. I mean, yeah, I've been hung out to dry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're figuring that out. Uh, you know, just got to find a happy medium. Same thing in everything. Balance is really key on everything. Yeah. How how is that kind of the the family dynamic? You just seem to get along really well. I mean, just in the few minutes you've been here, but how do you work through that when it is not going so well? Yeah. No, I mean, there's always, always, always times where you don't agree with what the other person is saying, but I think, you know, my, my dad handles it very well where he, you know, gives us enough rope to where we can kind of come up with ideas and stuff like that and try different things. Um, and then we're all very respectful to each other. I think that's a really huge thing is listening to each other and kind of adjusting as... You, you can't be so rigid, especially when you work with the family, right? Because even when you're off the clock, we're never really off the clock because even at the dinner table, we're talking about work. But if an issue comes up, we move through it and you forget about it. Because the more you linger on it, the harder it is. Every, every little thing kind of adds up. So, you just got to work through the issues and kind of keep moving forward. Yeah, it's just mostly you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to adapt quickly. And uh, whatever happened yesterday happened yesterday. You got to look forward to it tomorrow. And, you know, you mentioned kind of your interest in marketing and yours in operations. So, who who kind of takes the lead on like the financial side of the business or is that just a collaboration of everybody? It's a collaboration, but it's mostly uh, mostly our father, but it's usually pretty collaborative. Yeah. Like on the, on the Hilltop side, I'm, I'm getting very deep into the finances now. So, as we grow, it's kind of add another thing to the plate, add another thing to the plate. And I think that's something that my dad's done really well is just, you know, not overloading us right at once and just like, okay, learn this side. And, and we've been, like I said, we've been working since we we're eight years old. So, we kind of learned the aspects to where even on our farming side, if one of our workers was like, how do you do this? We're able to actually show them how to do it because we did it. And then same thing like with Hilltop, it's, it's a brand new company for us. So, there's a lot of the big learning curve on that. But, you know, um, I had the opportunity to work as a sizer supervisor for six months before the sale happened. So, that was really interesting for me to really learn the operation side and the production side of it. On the front lines. On the front lines, yeah. essentially, right? So, that was really good for me to kind of learn that before I stepped into a financial or a higher up role because now I understand, okay, forklifts do this. It wouldn't make sense if we eliminated this or did this or what it might be, you know? So, I think that kind of stuff, getting firsthand knowledge on it and, you know, getting your hands dirty is a really key thing to understanding the financial roles of everything as well. 
you have to kind of combine them together, practicality versus financial. And uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense financially, but that's the way it is practically. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're not there working, you can't, you can't possibly know that, right? Where is their give or where is it like, like exactly. non-negotiable? So yeah. like on a piece of paper, it might look great, but practically it don't make sense. Right? Yeah. Or on a piece of paper, it looks terrible. And then you're looking at like, well, we have no choice. Yeah. Diesel prices are skyrocketed. We still have to truck it to the board. You know? Or an employee thing. Like, hey, we got to take care of this employee. They are critical, right? And you don't exactly. know that if you're not there with them. Exactly. Right. If you don't know what they're doing day to day or kind of know the struggles of it, you can't really help solve. I kind of really look at us as glorified problem solvers. And so if we don't know or work through that problem with them, then there's no way we can actually help them. We, yeah, we need to know the, the challenges they're facing every day in order to make a correct decision. Right. And how do you maintain that as you grow? You know, that, that's where it gets hard. Like, it, it's easy to do if you're like never going to get bigger, but you guys seem pretty ambitious to me. So, like, how do you maintain that real grounded practical knowledge, you know, as you continue to grow a, a bigger business? Yeah, so that's the toughest part, right? It's like staying rooted within your company as well as being ambitious and having different aspirations. But you just have to be there more, talk to your employees more and see what kind of challenges they're facing. You just have to put your time in. Yeah, it definitely spreads us thin. I will say that as we grow, I mean, it's been spreading us more and more thin. So it becomes harder and harder to do that. But I think as long as we make kind of time out of our day, no matter how busy it is, to really go out and go talk to employees and see what's going on or, you know, being involved in like even minute kind of discussions of what's kind of going on. I mean, we trust our employees to, you know, take care of those issues, but we'd like to be there as well to kind of show support and, you know, maybe we come up with something different or they come up with something, but it's more of a discussion. It, it kind of becomes a team effort where you start growing bigger, but you have to have very key positions filled with people that you trust and, and that are very capable. And then that's how you get reported down throughout the line. You said earlier you had, you had worked as a supervisor leading up to the, the purchase. How did that go with your coworkers when like all of a sudden you're the boss? Yeah, it was actually pretty hilarious. So, so on January 3rd is when we made the announcement. We walked through and, you know, went to each department and made the announcement. And it was funny because, you know, some guys were like, well, you've only been supervisor here for six months and all of a sudden now, oh, you're the big boss. Cause like, like, like yeah, so yeah. We, we, we hired a replacement for me uh, about a couple of weeks before and I was helping him train. In, in that spot, in the meantime, what, you know, we signed NDA so we can talk about it. So, uh, got him started on end. They were like, well, he's already leaving at this time and now he's going into sales. Like, what's kind of going on here? And it was, it was funny because the people I shared office with, they are like, dude, we had no idea. And I would get stories like, you know, if I owned this place, I would do stuff like this way and this way. I would make notes in my head or, my no, you know, yeah. on my phone for notes. And, and then I'd be like, yeah, no, definitely. I would do the same thing if I owned it, yeah. Because, because some, some of the uh, ideas that actually the employees have are actually great ideas. Yes. Yeah, totally. So you have to take what they're saying into consideration as well. Yeah, and, and I feel like, you know, sometimes they, they feel like they're not heard. So it was a good way for me to kind of get in with them, you know, without the expectation of, oh, that's my boss. So I have to like, you know, act a certain way. And so it was a really good way to get unfiltered, good way to get to know everybody and kind of put my face in there too. So then, you know, when the transition did happen, they weren't just kind of shocked out of the blue, like, who are these people? Right. So it was really good for them to be like, okay, we do know him. He does work this way and, you know, he's fair and stuff like that. So I think that helped the transition by a lot. Man, you guys should have like contacted that undercover boss show. It is, it's like undercover boss. <laughs> that's what some of the, some of the guys around the office are saying. Yeah. A, a, everyone was like, so, so when is this airing? 
no, there were some, there were some definitely some some stars that kind of stood out for me, and I was like, wow, you guys are doing a really good job. Yeah. You know, you guys are working hard for the company, and I mean, like my dad always said it when we were growing up, and and I've kind of noticed the same thing. Like, we really like it when an employee says, you know, our company, or like this is our forklift, right? Because then it shows the care. And then that, you know, that makes us feel good about it too, right? Because that means they're happy working here. They take care of things and, and that we're treating them well. Yeah. How has that been? You know, I, everybody's talked about after water um, being the biggest issue, the next one being, you know, labor and, and just employees. And now I'm sure you, you added a bunch of employees under you now with investing in, in the processor. How are you guys thinking about keeping and developing these employees over time? You know, we actually haven't added many. Um, we've had some, you know, go with nutrition, but um, it's, it's been really good with the core group that was already there. So we're just kind of adjusting and kind of listening and seeing what issues are coming up and what we can help fix and kind of going based on their knowledge and their experience. Because we're, we're so new in the processing side that we have to rely heavily on them and their experience. All right. Well, it's it's interesting like when you, you you know, you read business books or you look through history and like, you know, it's it's when times get tough that the people who end up really building something meaningful, you know, double down, right? And it, it almost seems a little bit like that's kind of what you guys are doing. So talk about your vision uh for, for where almonds are going and kind of what you hope to be building here. I think almonds can still go way farther than they're still going right now if we become more innovative. Because almonds have a very long shelf life. And the whole world, it's already accustomed to almonds. A lot of relig- um, cultures and uh, parts of the world already have the, a part of their culture. So, I don't know. I think the more innovative we become, the better we can become as an industry. I think uh, the industry go, will go as far as much as we invest into our, our youth. I think there's a lot of bright kids coming up. I know I'm a kid myself, but uh, bright kids coming up that, you know, as long as they stay involved and keep pushing innovation, like my brother said, uh, I think we'd be in a good place compared to other, a lot of other commodities. Uh, we're in a good spot. Uh, it's been a rough two years, three years probably, and probably will be a little bit rough for a couple more months or so. But I mean, that's just how it goes when the world's in a recession. And that's kind of what we're facing is a global recession. And uh, a strong U.S. dollar really doesn't help us when 80% of the almonds come from California and we have to export it out to the world. So I think um, staying strong and being innovative and as an ag community, we do tend to stick together. I mean, our ag community is very, you know, help the neighbor um, kind of mentality. And I think that will go a long way in kind of keeping us going. Yeah, as as an industry, I think we can't afford to be rigid. We're going to have to adapt and be more innovative. Because as a raisin industry, it almost is pretty much dead now, and we can't afford to be like that. We need to be more agile and adapt. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like a lot of innovation has happened at the consumer side. You know, with almonds being everywhere in the store, from from the dairy aisle to the snack foods, etc. But I, I'm curious where you guys see opportunities for. Is that what you mean by innovation, or do you see other opportunities in the industry to really kind of rethink the way it approaches things? I think the innovation within farming itself, I think that's a huge thing. How low can we make the cost to where we can actually grow an almond? With Sigma going the way it is, I think we're going to have to get really, really flexible with our water usage and still be able to produce for the world. I think on the packing side, um, however 
we can to lower the cost and lower the um, the spend on all that stuff to kind of get the product out of here and, you know, to happy customers. I think innovation on the port side, I think there's a lot of room there. I think the supply chain in general can just, innovation can help at all, just efficiencies. And I think ag has always kind of been behind on the innovation side. I think in the last 10 years or so, it's picked up pace really fast and hopefully it keeps continuing. So then we can kind of keep pushing forward and kind of get ahead of this thing. Yeah, as well as, well as that, um, we can create more products that are, are actually in in the grocery store where people actually see it, families see it, and uh, can see that almonds are a mainstay in like any household. Yeah, I think we need to get away from the, that almonds are a luxury item. Right now, they're very much a luxury food. Uh, in certain cultures, they're, they're a main, but for the most part, they're very luxury. And I think maybe we might need to switch our marketing into kind of pushing it towards being a main thing. I think a lot of that health benefits has really helped the industry just grow because I think uh, at one point we started growing, the almond production started growing so rapidly that the demand just never kept up with that growth. I think we need to put more effort into the marketing side of that and keep pushing that to kind of meet where our supply is. Where does where does your ambition come from? Well, you are running a very successful business, but it seems like you're kind of you want to continue pushing forward. Kind of where where does that come from for you guys? Uh, I think that's a, mostly from when we were kids or as our background. Um, our whole family's in it works hard and it's pretty aggressive. So I feel like we've been in, grown into the environment where we're pushed to get out of a comfort zone, and uh, I feel like them pushing us out of the comfort zone really helps our uh, confidence and. We want to grow everything. Yeah, same thing here. I mean, it's just been that, that environment that we grew up in. All our cousins, like our dads have always been, you know, really close to each other. And, hey, we're doing this, doing this, something different. This might work for you. And talking about stuff like that too, pushing and growing. So, we've seen that. We've seen from, you know, I mean, a couple hundred acres or uh, we started at like 100, 200 acres. And it's just like we, we want to improve and we want to get better and better every day. So, that's what we've grown up in. But yeah, it's just continued and it's like. It's it's never where we just want to kind of stay still and okay we're we're good where we're at. It's just always that growth or how can we be more efficient or there's always potential to grow. I mean, just as human beings too, it's so much potential for us to keep growing. I I feel like it's kind of a failure if we kind of stay where we're at. Well, on that note of growth mindset, I think that's a great place to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so very much to Raj and Taj Samran for the enjoyable conversation and for allowing us to share their story on the podcast today. We here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing voices of industry leaders, people like the Samran family may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. And that's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, of resilience, and of community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by following and subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to someone else in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. Music.